You don't know what you have until it's gone. Through loss, I, Kimberly, host of Self Love Sister Podcast, am learning to live. From the age of eight, I suffered from multiple autoimmune diseases which took my capacity to walk and even to speak. As these abilities gradually returned, I found a deep gratitude for this delicate and wonderful life. The fact that I may suffer a relapse at any time pushes me to appreciate all the more the wonder of living here and now. Through sharing my experiences and through interviewing others, I invite listeners to experience their own gratitude for life. This podcast is sponsored by The Podcast Farm. If you want help starting or growing your show, please click the link in the show notes. Hello everyone, I hope everyone's having a wonderful Saturday. So today I'll be joined in by Trishna. She has MS and um... With having that autoimmune disease, like, you hear the worst things when you Google them. So we're going to get a first-hand perspective on her. So let's see. Hello. Hooray! I know. We finally got it. <laughs> 20 minutes later but it's okay it's not about the finish ride it's about the journey <laughs> yeah oh i'm stressed now great way to start well for me for me it's like 10 30 a.m so it's still like early <laughs> yeah that, well yeah i just i feel i, I yeah it's, you know what so one of the things that um i always say i actually said it um on the uh no it was yesterday yesterday was friday i was doing a presentation um for um a few ms groups uh-huh. and the biggest thing that i was nervous about was the fact that i needed to share my screen on zoom and needed to make sure it was optimized for sharing video and i said to them i don't get nervous about speaking now in front of you know in in front of groups and things it's will the technology work <laughs> yes that's your control that's why i get you <laughs> yeah yeah and then the thing is i'm not i mean i know how to use technology i'm not like super technical and so when things go wrong i'm the first one who has to say okay i need to go to google now <laughs> <laughs> yes google <so> <laughs> right exactly so um yeah which was what i was doing i was googling thinking why is it not letting me join because i literally i ran um i was on a different channel uh-huh. i did a, a a shared live on um on thursday and it worked perfect and so i yeah i'm telling I you <laughs> <laughs> oh but thank you for having me yes it's my honor so i was telling people that you have MS, which like I said, I personally don't know like what MS. So I would like your firsthand perspective. So oh, what is MS? Okay, so firstly, it's an autoimmune condition. So as many people may or may not know, um, autoimmune conditions is where your immune system, your body's own defense system becomes faulty and it starts to attack healthy tissue. Now, it can attack, in autoimmune conditions, it can, it can attack healthy tissue in lots of different places in the body. But in MS, it attacks the healthy tissue in the brain and the spinal cord. So it can cause a whole range of different symptoms because your central nervous system essentially controls so many different parts of your, your functioning, so many different parts of your body. Um, so, you know, symptoms like uh, pain, muscle spasms, bladder and bowel issues, speech and swallowing difficulties, concentration and memory issues, 
mobility issues, um, sensory issues, so things like um, the way things feel, so pins and needles and burning sensations, tingling sensations. Um, fatigue is also, is also a symptom. So there's a whole array of different symptoms. A lot of people, when they think of MS or they've heard of MS, they automatically um, think mobility issues because back sort of 30, 40 years ago, when there were no disease modifying therapies available, um, a lot of the time people progressed quite quickly and many people needed to use a wheelchair. And so automatically in people's minds, I think people still tend to equate multiple sclerosis with using a wheelchair, even though actually the vast majority now, majority of people with MS won't necessarily need to use a wheelchair and there's all these other symptoms which people don't necessarily equate to having MS um, and also so many of the symptoms I've men mentioned are also invisible as well oh okay wow I did not know how complex it can be I mean because yeah like you said you just automatically assume mobility and yeah it's just yeah yeah well, so and people often, um, you know, if you're not using a wheelchair or walking aids, uh -huh. you know, one of the most common things people say to you is, well, you can't, how, how do you, is it that you have MS? Because your, your walking ability is absolutely fine. Um, but like I said, I mean, mobility issues are just one in a whole range of different symptoms mm -hmm. that MS can cause. And actually, I mean, I've, I've not had mobility issues. So even, so when I, my first relapse, I completely lost the feeling down one side of my body. Mm -hmm. And even though I literally couldn't feel anything, so like if you, uh, one of the tests that they do is they actually get something sharp and they drag it across your skin. I couldn't feel it. But I was still playing field hockey, mm -hmm. even when that happened, because there was absolutely nothing wrong with my with my movement or mobility that wasn't affected at all. Um, so it is a common misconception that you know that MS equals mobility issues, and that's the only symptom it can cause. Um, yeah. Wow! Wow! That's crazy. So at what age were you diagnosed? So I was diagnosed at the age of 28, mm -hmm. um, which is a pretty common age to start developing symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, the most sort of common age range is in your, um, your 20s and your 30s. But then there's also, depending on where you are in the world and how good the healthcare system is, how quickly you can get diagnosed, um, some people may not get diagnosed until, say, their late 30s or early 40s. Um, there was, again, a misconception is that children don't get MS. Mm -hmm. And that is a misconception. You do get pediatric MS, albeit it is a much smaller percentage. Um, but I know people who were diagnosed. I know one person who was diagnosed at the age of five. Um, and I know several people who were diagnosed when they were teenagers um, as well. So, but the most common on age for onset of symptoms tends to be your twenties and thirties. Okay. So, yeah. so it's like for sure you're gonna have it. Well, it's not immune disease. Like you're gonna have it for life. It just depends on. Yeah. Yeah. So once you've got it, you've got it. At the moment, there is no cure. Um, there are disease modifying therapies out there that can help to um, reduce the frequency of relapses, can help to reduce the severity of relapses, but there is nothing at the moment that will either stop MS dead in its tracks yeah. or, and there's nothing at the moment, although there are trials going on, um, for therapies that could potentially repair damage that has already been done. Okay. Um, which would, if, I mean, if we can get therapies to repair damage that's already been done, that would 
be huge for people with MS because that could potentially reverse some of the disability that, that it can cause. Um, the other thing that I will mention is, so there is, even though MS isn't hereditary, mm -hmm. that like most all autoimmune conditions actually, um, there's a genetic element to it. So there are genes that might predispose you to developing um, MS like many other autoimmune conditions. Um, and I actually, I in, within my family, my, my immediate family, extended family, there's actually four of us who have MS. So I have two cousins with MS and I'm also an identical twin, which many people don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my, my twin, um, so she was diagnosed with MS three years after me. Um, and while she has done some work and some stuff, like for example with the ms society and things like that she's not um she's not been as overtly public as as i have been um on social media and in the press and things like that um but yeah so i often say oh i have an identical twin sister by the way and people are like really yeah, i have just because i've never seen a picture no exactly um so because well uh, because all, all my social media is completely public, yeah. I generally don't post photos um, of the two of us together because she's much more private when it comes to things like social media. Um, but I always say to people, well, you know what? If you want to know what my twin sister looks like, basically like this. <laughs> wow. And that's kind of the same with me, like, I I was um like the first one with an autoimmune disease, so I was diagnosed at twelve. So we had no clue like what an autoimmune yeah. disease meant or like family that had it. So uh, it was definitely a challenge. But I'm and it, you know what, and that is that can be tough when you know you you sort of you're you're the <laughs> you feel as though you're the one who's having to find everything out and. And I think you've mentioned a really good point there in terms of family. Family has been such a support for me. My parents are amazing. If anybody follows me on social media, like they'll see particularly my mum, she'll like appear in some of my dance videos <laughs> and things. And she, she's over 70 and so is my dad. Um, but they, you know, as caregivers, they've been absolutely fantastic. Um, it was very difficult to begin with because particularly within the Asian culture. So I have South Asian heritage um, from India and it's very much as you get older, you're, the whole idea is that you're going to look after your parents. Yes. And it took me a long time to accept that I was needing to have support from my parents as an adult when I thought, you know, I'm 41 now, I thought I would be the one looking after them in their old age. And so that, that was very difficult. Having said that, I mean, you know, my mum particularly, she's the one who usually comes with me to when I'm speaking at conferences, uh, you know, I'm doing my advocacy work. Um, and so I've actually ended up spending much more time with her than I think I would have done if I hadn't, didn't have MS. And, you know, those, that time is precious because you're creating memories. Um, so in that way, I think, you know, I'm, I'm very, very glad. Yes. Now I'm the same way, like, um, you know, growing up, I always thought I would move away, like, during college, but, yeah. least, you know, I'm 24 now, um, so that's been diff difficult, and kind of like how you said with the, with your culture, and Hispanic culture, same, we're, um, we grew up thinking we're going to take care of the parents, and Sally's not been like that, and you know how, well, I don't know if in your Asian culture, but typically, like, in Mexican culture, we're supposed to, you know, get married and that's it. <laughs> and that's not the case for me. <laughs> you know, so within Asian culture, marriage, family, having children, it's still so important. Now, I'm lucky because my parents, 
My parents were very much trailblazers. So my parents came from two different um, two different parts of India, mm -hmm. um, and they had a love marriage at a time when love marriages didn't happen in the Asian culture. People were getting arranged marriages. This was back in the nineteen seventies, um, and they've always said to all of us so i have an identical twin sister i also have a younger sister and she has another autoimmune condition so she has ulcerative colitis which is an inflammatory bowel disease and she's they've always said to all of our sisters even before like being uh, all of us being diagnosed that what's important is that you're happy and that you know, yes, the community might say certain things and might expect certain things of you, but as long as you're happy and you're not, you're doing things, you're doing things right in a way that you're not, that you're being respectful and that you're not, you're not going to feel disappointed in yourself, then that's really what matters. But I mean, with Asian community, I mean, some of the, some of the things that people say can be you know can be or say and do can be awful you know i've had people say to me that god is punishing me i've been bad in a former life and it's karma wow. um i know people who hide their ms um i know at least two people with ms from the asian community who tell people they've had accidents and that's why they use a wheelchair rather than saying it's ms because, for example, they're worried about the prospects for their siblings to be able to get married. People saying that it's contagious. Well, no, it's not. Um, all of these things make it much harder for people to, you know, to be to be open. And so within in the UK, um, the UK's MS Society, there's actually a support group that was set up called Asian MS and it's to provide that culturally sensitive support and to be able to raise awareness and reduce stigma and prejudice within the Asian community but it's doing that from within because you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be um as as was as easily accepted if, for example, a, a white British person went into the Asian community and said, well, why are you saying this? Why are you doing this? It has to come, the change has to come from within. Um, and, you know, I actually, um, so my job, you probably don't know this, my job, I'm actually a Spanish to English translator okay. for a business intelligence company. Um, and I have lots of Hispanic friends and I spent a year living in Spain, in Madrid. Um, and I, I actually, I grew up listening to Latin, Latin pop and reggaeton and all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and my younger sister, actually, she spent five months traveling around Latin America and something that we've always um, we've always felt that there's a lot of similarities in terms of the culture mm -hmm. and what's expected of you especially being a woman as yeah. well um so and so as part of my advocacy work one of the things that um i'm really keen on is improving diversity within clinical research um, improving diversity and access in terms of to healthcare. Um, making sure that people are better informed about health conditions. Um, so I've done lots of collaborations where you, there have been representatives of, for example, the US Hispanic community. And I hear people talking and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's just the same in the Asian community. Like I've heard that, I've experienced this. And, and so there's, there's lots of similarities. I think people don't realize just how similar some yeah. cultures can be. But you put it together, right? Sorry? Until you put the two. Until you put it together. And also share experiences. So, you know, just the very fact that technology enables us to have this conversation. Oh, yeah. 
that's the way it should be um and to be able to you know go onto facebook and join support groups and say look you know i've experienced this has anybody else experienced it so i'm a member of several support groups which are specifically aimed at people of color with long-term illness or with ms and again so many things that i I hear people talking about, or I see people discussing, and I'm thinking, gosh, that's just the same in, you know, in the Asian community. So there's there's lots of synergies. Um, and that's where I think we're lucky yeah. because, you know, well, when, even when I was diagnosed, I don't even know, was I on Facebook when I was diagnosed? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, I mean, I for example, was very, you know, growing up was having these autoimmune diseases. So I have scleroderma and brain odds. And growing up, like, I used to be, like, very, like, I used to keep it to myself. I didn't want my immediate family to know that I was sick until, yeah. and it was until I was 21 when I had a stroke and I was like, I can no longer hide this. Hide it. Yeah. It was just so much pressure and, like, trying to act normal, I guess, or what society thinks is normal. That you forget to take care of yourself. Exactly, exactly. I think that's where having that immediate family support is really helpful. Um, so my parents, for example, they'll be the first ones to stand up for me. If anybody says anything which is, you know, they shouldn't be saying. Um, and same, you know, with my sisters and I think that's important because when you know that you've got that support behind you, it makes it much easier yes. to then go out and, and, and yeah, be strong yourself because you're able to draw strength from the fact that you've got that, you've got that support. So when, um, when did you sort of go, go public on social media and stuff? It was at 22. So a year okay. after the stroke, I was really down. I guess I didn't feel, I mean, because it was at the age where everyone was going to college and, surprise, and you know, I was stuck in a hospital bed. And my yeah. sister was actually the one that would always say, share your story. And then one day I just woke up and I said, you know what, I was given the second chance at life to share my story. And I mean, I've gotten a lot of attention from it now, so that's good. Yeah, you know, so I think social media, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of things which bad about social media but i do think that having that ability to be able to connect with people who've got the same condition as you is so powerful oh yes you know i i mean like i said i mean so when i was first diagnosed i i don't even know if i was on facebook and i found it very hard to find other people who were in a similar situation to me. So there was a support group in, um, in the next door town to where I live, but they met, um, it was, I went there once and it was for their coffee morning. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think it was something like 11 o'clock in the morning, every week on a Thursday or something. And I went once, but everybody there was there because they don't they don't work anymore because their ms had was advanced enough or they had a disability which didn't allow them to work whereas at that time i was i mean i was playing field hockey i was i had a really active social life i was working full time um I was thinking about, you know, things like career, relationships and things like that. And I went and I was just thought, I, I have so little in common. The only thing I had in common was the fact that I had MS. And I went and I thought, well, I want to be able to talk about more than only my MS and also be able to ask for advice about things like, you know, what if I need reasonable adjustments to be made at work so I can continue working full time? Um, did, had anyone had experience of you know, um, still continuing to be active and you know, playing team sports even after diagnosis? Mm -hmm. And you know, like I said, 
that I just I had nothing in common and I think that made things difficult at the beginning because I found it hard to find other people that I had other things in common with um, whereas with social media that makes it so much easier because you're able to reach so many more people oh, um, yeah. and there's, there's a Facebook group for everything <laughs> no yeah for sure that was the first thing I looked into was a support group because you know people from all over the world different ages like it's wonderful exactly exactly um and also i think it being able to be on social media it makes it much easier for people to be able to reach out to you they see that you know i had somebody message me um the other day and they're asian and they have ms but hadn't come across anyone else where they live who who is asian and has ms and she said oh i just wanted to say that it's just so nice to see somebody like me and also see somebody who is being public and who is talking about the issues because it's also sometimes about giving a voice to the people who aren't as comfortable being public and who maybe aren't able to you know put their opinions forward um and I think that, can, again, it can be really powerful to have that ability um, for people to reach out to you and say, you know, I'm struggling with this or have you experienced this? And you know, just thank you for sharing your story. Oh, yeah. Uh, as well. Empowering. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. But in terms of so you said that you you've obviously been have you finished college now or are you still at college no i didn't i just graduated okay. that was it so you graduated sorry you broke up a bit high school okay okay yeah and so are you doing advocacy full-time or yes you yeah after 21 after the stroke i could not work i was just concentrating on my health and so I, that's why I'm so lucky. I have a very supportive family. They don't really ask me for much. So I get to do what I love. So do, have you found that because you're doing the advocacy, mm -hmm. have you found that that's also helped you to sort of accept and cope with yes. living with an autoimmune condition? Yes, for sure. At the age of 22, I found self-love. And so, so that to me was like a very important thing because I feel like after that I could truly be myself and be happy. Yeah. I wasn't worried about what other people thought about me. It's like I am who I am. Deal with it. You know, and that's so important because I think we can, we can, everyone can be. We're our, you know, our worst critics. Yeah. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, and. I think being able to accept who you are at that moment and not say to people it's about thinking about the things you can do rather than the things that you can't and being able to accept that and sort of move forward in a positive way I think positive energy like there's a lot to be said for it um, oh yeah. It just mentally being able to I so often people will say, Well, how does being positive help like help you physically? So well, so I'm I'm not a medical expert. I don't know whether there's physiological things. However, I can try and cope with my symptoms and be miserable about it, or I can try and cope with my symptoms and try and feel happier. And actually, if you're feeling happier, sometimes it just makes it easier to cope. Oh, yes. I firmly live by that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So, um, but yeah. Shall I tell you a little bit about Dancing with the Stars? Yes, I was going to ask that. Yeah. I want to know some little fun facts. Yeah. So, so in the UK, um, which is where I'm based, by the way, just in case nobody realised from the accent. <laughs> Um, so in the UK, Dancing with the Stars is called Strictly Come Dancing. Uh -huh. And it's 
this exactly the same format as in the US. So you have celebrities, they're paired with professional dancers, they have to learn ballroom and Latin dances, everyone, you know, people vote, etc, etc. And in the UK, they had never done a version of Strictly Come Dancing for people who weren't celebrities. And the BBC, which is one of the national television channels in the UK, um, they have a, they have, there's a charity called Comic Relief, which they support every year. So every year there's like, it's something like six or seven hours worth of televised um, production. And they ask people to ring in, people raise money and stuff like that. And so in 2015, in aid of Comic Relief, Strictly to Come Dancing decided to do a special four-part edition of the show, which for the first time ever, they were going to open up to non-celebrities. So, you know, ordinary people like you and me. And I'm a huge fan of the show. So is my younger sister. So I live with my younger sister and my parents. And um, she heard that they were asking people to nominate for people to participate in this show. Mm -hmm. And so she sent off a nomination on my behalf um, and <laughs> not thinking anything was going to happen because, you know, it's strictly come dancing. Uh, there was over 11,000 nominations uh -huh. and um, they chose just six people out of over 11,000. And I was one of the lucky six. Um, so what they were looking for, they were looking for um, inspiring individuals, people who had overcome adversity mm -hmm. in their life, people who had done, you know, lots of charitable work or lots of work to help communities. Um, and yeah, they, um, they liked what they liked what I'd been doing in the world of MS and chronic illness. Um, so there was myself, there was somebody, there was a lady who set up what has now um, become one of, or if not the biggest school for people with autism in the UK. There was another lady who had set, who has set up a charity to support people in um, an ICU after she, um, so she had she nearly lost her life and she was in ICU. Um, there was somebody else who had done a lot for meningitis research because unfortunately he lost his son to meningitis. There was somebody who um, set, who has set up a theatre company to help young people. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was also an ex, a former Royal Marine who um, lost a leg in um Af i think it was in afghanistan he was out on um on tour um serving in serving for the royal marines and he lost um a leg so he he's um has a so he his leg was amputated um so the six of us were paired with professional dancers from strictly come dancing mm -hmm. um and we had to learn a dance so we were dance training we were filming um wow. and I was still having to do my normal full-time job as well because I couldn't tell my boss, oh, by the way, I'm taking four months off because I'm going to be on television. Um, so, yeah, it was it was brilliant. Um, so I danced to Jive. If people want to Google, um, or not Google me, if people want to YouTube me, then my dance is still on the BBC's channel. Uh -huh. So if you put in Trishna Baradia Jive, it will come up on YouTube. Um, and yeah, and so we recorded the show and then people would phone in mm -hmm. and vote um, for their favourites. Mm -hmm. And all the money that was um, that was generated from people phoning in all went to the Comic Relief charity, um, which was brilliant because obviously all of us who participated were all heavily involved in charity work. So, I mean, yeah, it was a dream come true. It was for a really good cause. Um, and I got to like literally like sparkly dresses, makeup. Um, I love dancing. Um, it's so I, I mentioned, um, I mentioned earlier that I, I, I played field hockey. Um, field hockey is 
really big in my family. My dad plays, um, both my sisters played. Um, I played literally since I was really, really young. Um, but it was becoming increasingly difficult with my fatigue. Mm -hmm. And so I then took up Zumba and inclusive dance as well. So, uh, and it's for me, it's, um, yeah, I just, I feel happy when I dance. And so it's a way of having, you know, staying active, having exercise, but also having a really good time. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so may I ask, with having MS, was it difficult to dance or how was that? You know what? So I believe that dance is one of the very few truly inclusive forms of exercise. It, you make it what you make it, you know. So in um, my my younger sister, the one with ulcerative colitis, she's actually a um, an inclusive dance and Zumba instructor. Um, that's not her full time job, um, but that's what she does in her spare time. And in our classes, so if anybody wants to look up any of the videos and stuff, she's um, at Zumba with Anisha. Mm -hmm. um, and in our classes. We have people who do the class standing. We have people who use wheelchairs, people who might need to use a chair for stability. So they're still standing, but they need something to stabilize themselves. Um, and for me, it was, so with my field hockey, I was becoming not only increasingly frustrated because I wasn't able to play at the level that I was used to, I was starting to feel like I was letting my team down mm -hmm. because when I wasn't able to perform up to the standard I was used to performing because of muscle fatigue, because, you know, matches were wiping me out for two to three days. I was mentally, I was finding it very difficult because I thought I'm just letting everyone down. Whereas with dance, if you're doing it in like for example a class you literally it doesn't matter you go at your own pace you know you do what you're able to do and so even when i'm having bad days whereas with hockey i would often come back feeling frustrated and really rubbish with dance i can be having a bad day and still do what i'm able to and not feel like i'm letting anyone down um and i think that's really important because and it's actually one of the reasons why I ended up giving up hockey when I did because I didn't want to be I didn't want to start hating something that I've loved all my life um and so yeah with the dance it's it's just it's an alternative and I'm lucky because I found something that I love just as much as hockey yeah. um and I I always say to people that being active you have to enjoy it find something that you enjoy don't do it and make it feel as though it's a chore because then you'll just you'll start to resent resent the time that you're spending and there are so many different ways to be active like i don't believe anyone who says to me oh i don't enjoy being active for me, as just actually, you've just not found the right thing for you. There's just so many different things that people can try, um, and like I said, I think dance is a really good option. Yeah, it's fun, and you're working out. Exactly, exactly, and you can express yourself, and you can sing along to the music. Um, <laughs> um, I have to say though, I do. Um, even though I can sing to I, I can sing to the Spanish songs, mm -hmm. I do find it very difficult to rap in Spanish. <laughs> so um, I do not understand how people like Daddy Yankee can talk yeah. that fast. Like, <laughs> no, that, that's another gift. Like. I speak Spanish and I can't even rap that fast. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll try and I'll literally, I'll be saying every, like every five words I'll get in. Uh, uh, and then all the rest of it, I'm the, I, I can't move my mouth that fast. <laughs> Sorry. That was going to No, I think that's. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, no, I, I, that's definitely, that's definitely a gift. <laughs> For sure.
No, and I loved how you said that you didn't want to look back and later resent something that you loved because I actually used to play in an orchestra. Who um, did you? Yeah. What instrument? I played the violin. Okay. But instead of, you know, when I started losing my fingers because of the scleroderma and Raynaud's, I, I started feeling really bad and I felt like I was letting my orchestra team down. Yeah. But now, after I found self-love, I appreciated the days when I could actually play an instrument because even if I wanted to, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is the thing, and there's always there's always other ways to appreciate as well what you've done don't get me wrong it's not for everybody i know some people who said that if they can't do it the way that they had always done it they just don't they just leave it completely but i mean i still i still enjoy going to watch matches you know i'll go and watch my dad play um and you know i i enjoy watching hockey on television and stuff and you know if i go and watch a match at our local club for instance you know, I'll I'll take my stick and I might hit a few balls and things, but I I don't think hockey will ever leave. It, it will never be completely out of my life because it's just it's been a part of my life for so long. I just yeah, like I just need to find a different way to appreciate it. Um, and yeah, so I um I actually learned the cello when oh. I was uh, when I was a kid I wasn't very good at it though <laughs> <laughs> so I learned the cello and my um, my two other sisters learned the, the viola um, but yeah none of us I mean we were okay but not gifted at all in the music department <laughs> but it, that's a fun instrument I loved it it is, and I think that there's other things, which was kind of segueing here, but I think there's other things which, again, I don't think people necessarily, unless they've done it, they don't necessarily realise that it's not only about learning to, to actually play something tuneful, it's about putting in the hours of practice, it's about discipline, okay. it's about having the self-confidence, for example, to go out and perform. You know, there's there's other things which come into it, which, you know, it's the same with sports, you know. So with hockey, for example, I had to train twice a week and that takes discipline. So sometimes it's not even about how good you are. It's about sometimes all the other skills and things that you learn in order to do what you're doing in order to participate or or to learn. Yes. No, that is a very factor. Like, you know, for me being part of an orchestra, it helped me in a way to communicate with other people. And so that's why I think I'm so openly, I can talk about my sickness and everything. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And, and also being in an orchestra, it's also about listening to other people yeah. as well and being able to adjust what you're doing according to what other people are doing. Um, so if you enjoy if you enjoy music um so on the 30th of may mm -hmm. um which is a sunday um it's world ms day mm -hmm. and so last year i hosted for the ms international international federation they did a um it was a global live stream concert with different um different artists from all around the world, all with some kind of connection to MS. Um, and they're hoping to do the same thing again this year. Um, so I'll be advertised if it goes, I'll obviously be advertising it on all my social media channels. So keep an eye out for that. Yes. Um, because last year, I mean, it was completely eclectic. We had rock, we had classical, we had a global MS choir, which was a virtual choir that all came together over Zoom um, to sing. We had um, somebody from Cuba, somebody from, I think it was, uh, was it from Egypt? 
Um, so literally all over the place and lots of different styles and genres and yeah, no, it was, uh, it was fantastic. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'll definitely keep my eye out for that. Yeah. And again, something that we're able to do because we live in a virtual world now, uh, it would be much harder to do something if it was obviously if it was live because we'll be having to try and get people flown in from all over the world um so yeah no i'll um, yeah keep an eye out on my socials for that that's awesome yes so was there anything else you wanted to ask me or anything that you uh, so i think so something that i'm really interested in and we've touched on this is obviously the diversity mm -hmm. um issue so here in the UK, when we talk about diversity, firstly, it, it's usually about gender, uh, yeah, about gender and race. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about race, usually it's um, the black community and the South Asian community. So in the UK, when you say Asian, people associate that with South Asians, so Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Sri Lankan. Whereas I know in the US, if somebody says Asian, often it's relating to East Asian, so Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, etc., etc. Now, I had a conversation with somebody the other day, so they actually, they, um, they run a clinical trial site and they were saying that in the US, when we talk about race and diverse, when they talk about race and diversity, it's often the black community and the Hispanic community. So in terms of improving diversity in healthcare and improving diversity in, ad in advocacy as well, what do you think are the main, the major challenges within the US um, to get more people from diverse communities involved in advocacy and involved in being much more open about their conditions? Because like I said, I'm really interested in that. I have, I have the perspective from the UK, but when we talk about diversity in the UK, it actually means in certain ways different things to diversity in the u.s okay yeah well like for me like honestly there's not a lot of hispanic people that they probably have an autoimmune disease but they don't share because it's very difficult yes of like you know we talked about that about like, um, trying to get married trying to have kids you know you don't want to look at it that way so it's very difficult. There's very few Hispanic people, people of color, of all different races. I also see white Americans that will share that they're sick. And so I don't know. I think it's like a stigma of like the different cultures. You know, no one really wants to say they're sick. Do you think that, so for example, people like you who, who are being open, do you think that will encourage more people? Oh, yes. I get messages yeah. every day, all day of saying thank you because I can't talk about this, especially me being so young. I feel yeah. like an older sister because not a lot of people that are young want to share that they have this life-threatening disease. Yeah. God, I feel like a grandma now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, oh my God, I appreciate you. I admire you so much. Well, you know what? And so I think the term... I think the term inspirational can be overused sometimes, particularly in the media. I think that what we're doing is giving, is giving people inspiration, but it's in giving them inspiration to maybe take some of the things that we do and some of the experiences that we've had and help them to also cope with their own conditions. I don't think I'm an inspiration just because I have MS. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, yes, some of the things that I'm doing can be an inspiration for people, but just because I'm somebody with MS, that doesn't make me an inspiration. Mm -hmm. And I also think we're, we're doing what we're doing because we feel like it, it needs to be done. Yeah. Like, it's not that... You know, it's not that we thought 
and when we were I don't know, growing up in school, this is what we're going to do oh, when yeah. we grow up. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But then it's about thinking, well, if, if something needs to change, there's no point in just sitting around and talking about it. You've got to get up and do something. Yes. And that, that's what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, we're being ourselves. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No. So, you know what? I really enjoy chatting with you. I feel like we can literally, we could, like, we could be on this for hours. Oh, yeah. Same. And the people will be like, yeah, I, I need to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> like, guys, take a break. <laughs> no, but thank you so much for, you know, letting me know what MS is and how it's not as life-threatening as Google makes it seem, you know? Yes. So, you know, and this is probably a really good point to, to maybe finish on. So, um, there was, I saw a post in, um, in a Facebook group this week and um, they had an assessment at work. They have MS. And on this assessment, some person had classified them as having a terminal condition. And I turned around and I said, Hello? Hello? Oh, you're back. You're back. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Oh, Paul, I'm sorry. That's okay. I was just, I was talking and then I thought, you've not moved. <laughs> no, sorry. I had an incoming call. <laughs> That's okay. No, I was saying that. Um, so I said to this person, I said, go back to this person and say that life is terminal, MS yeah. isn't. And I think that's really important to remember because, yes, there, I mean, there are many conditions out there. There are many illnesses out there that are terminal, but with many autoimmune conditions, they're not terminal. We have, we have to learn to live with them. And, yeah, at the end of the day, life is terminal. You know, as soon, the, the day that you're born, your life becomes terminal because you are going to, you're going to die someday. And I think yeah. the, the important thing is, is that we, with the life that we have, we take that opportunity and make as much out of it as we can and learn how to overcome the challenges that are thrown at us. And, you know, what you say, self-love, positivity, um, and yeah, supporting each other. I think that's, that's yeah. really important. That's what we have to do. And I'm so glad that we connected over this because, yeah, we're the voice of those people that aren't ready to share. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> I did. Thank you so much. I will have to definitely bring you on again to, like, catch up in the future. <laughs> definitely. And also, um, yeah, I'll put you in contact with my sister as well, because I think you'll probably really enjoy chatting with her as well at some point. Um, and, yeah. To. Well, thank you so much. Right. I appreciate you. Bye. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your, your morning and day. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care.